Uh, the reading of the scriptures from Romans chapter 6, reading verses 12 to 14, I invite uh, your uh, reverent hearing of God's word and hearing in faith. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have brought, been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have certainly been learning that uh, God in His grace uh, saves us from the penalty of sin through uh, Christ our Redeemer. But He does not eradicate sin in our present lives. Uh, neither does he make us perfect in this present life. I was kind of amused by that latter statement because there are some denominations that hold in Christian perfectionism and often kind of really wonder about that if they truly understand what sin is. But again, in this present life, uh, God, God will not make us perfect. So we must continue, therefore, to deal with sin. Thankfully, what grace does is continue with us in this present life so that we can deal with it properly. The grace of God always present, not just in our justification, but in our present life until Christ comes to claim us, claim us forever. Uh, so in our study of our union with uh, Christ, it means that we're to present our bodies now to God because we are united with Christ because he has broken the dominion of sin and given us new life. We're to respond by presenting our bodies in God's service and the dominion of his righteousness. In verses 1 to 11 of the sixth chapter, Paul has dealt with the dominion of sin Namely, that he has toppled its uh, rule over us. We used to be dead, but now we're alive. And so in verses 12 to uh, 14, Paul is going to issue some imperatives. Uh, and this uh, means, of course, that who we are in Christ determines what we do with our lives, uh, specifically our duty changes from serving sin now to serving God. Uh, by the way, it's a, it's a great illustration uh, in our own lives that how practical theology is. It's really of manifest importance that the church study theology uh, because of its practical influence on our lives. Uh, and sin being toppled, uh, we uh, belong to a new government, a new dominion, and therefore we can live accordingly. And one of the reasons that we uh, cannot continue in sin is because of our sanctification. Uh, if you look at verse 1 of the sixth chapter, what shall we say then? Or would he continue in sin? The grace might increase. Uh, the operative word there to me is continue in sin. Uh, and the answer, of course, Paul is, you know, may it never be. Uh, we cannot continue in sin because it's 
rule over us has been broken, been toppled. And that we cannot continue uh, indicates theologically that we are shifting to the Spirit's work in us and the necessity of sanctification. Now again, that's a theological imposition. Uh, Paul doesn't use that language in this text. He doesn't uh, use the word sanctification here. But because we are dealing with the Spirit's work in us, we know that uh, that is the theological reality. The finality of our justification has been properly understood. Uh, justification is you know, an illegal act. It has nothing to do with anything within us or without us, but totally based upon the merits of the righteousness of Christ. But now, Paul is dealing with in us and the reality of the continuance of sin. And so we, we leave justification for sanctification and the reality that we no longer can continue in sin. We break off from it. Because something radical has happened to us, for us, and now in us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we leave the heavenly court, which was the seat of our justification, for the human heart, the Spirit working in us. We leave the legal issue of justification for the moral. We leave the imputation of sin and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to our account for the infusion of grace and the growing up of the righteousness that has been charged to us. Justification is imputation, but sanctification is the infusion of grace. Again, many denominations, Christian denominations, confuse those two great realities. But we should be good theologians and keep them straight. Imputed righteousness and now an infusion of righteousness within us. And what Christ did for us in pardoning our sin, the Spirit will do in us to help us to subdue the reality of the principal sin that abides within us. Justification is a one-time event, but sanctification is a progressive one. Uh, we shift from the fact that we were totally passive in justification, but now we are active uh, and we engage so that this is the involvement on our part because sin is still present. And, of course, we shift from the righteousness of Christ alone Alone in justification, it's the righteousness of Christ alone, nothing else. Now to an inherent righteousness that is ours personally. As we deal and trust the grace of God in our battle with sin. Now one is an alien righteousness, namely justification. The other is personal within us. Of course, it's worthwhile to remember that uh, the personal righteousness uh, is not salvific. It's the righteousness of Christ that's salvific. Uh, but again, we are shifting theologically from justification to sanctification uh, in light of who we are in Christ and the new creation. We're made new, and in that we've been made new, we can act accordingly. 
One of the favorite sayings I have from one of my theology professors is, we can no longer do the things we used to do because we're no longer the men and women that we used to be because of the radical change that God has effected. And the change of identity engages of necessity, a change in life, because we used to be dead, but now we're alive by the power of the Spirit. We were unable, but now we're able by the infusion of righteousness, by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. This is where Paul is now going to take us. It is, I think, a worthy application to remember, <coughs> pardon me, that sin is the norm in our culture. It's widely accepted, established. The personal righteousness in the pursuit of God are abnormal. I mean, I will tell you, as Christians, pursuing righteousness is considered as weird to the world. Because to them, sin is the normal aspect of life. But in the new creation, both of these are reversed. Sin is abnormal. Pursuing righteousness is what's normal. And that normative reality Paul will deal with again in the ensuing chapters. Uh, well, beyond sanctification, we cannot continue in sin uh, as stated in the imperatives of our text this morning. So again, look back at verse 1. Can we continue in it? No, we can't because of what's happened to us and in us. And so we cannot continue. We must break off. Uh, my first uh, assignment in the Army after uh, being a student was to a uh, cavalry squadron um, uh, don't want to bore any of you to uh, uh, to an uh, early death, but cavalry squadrons uh, are really the eyes and the ears of, of a commander. And generally, when they're dispatched, they they are never to become decisively engaged with the enemy. If they become engaged, they're to break off. Uh, because decisive engagement is left to the main body. And it really speaks to us, uh, continuing in sin. Now we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot continue any longer. We must break off. We must disengage. And that encompasses all of the uh, addictions of uh, people in their lives today, which in uh, many respects is just, just normal. Because we're men and women made new, we break off. Uh, because we are no longer who we used to be. Uh, the therefore in verse uh, verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, therefore points us back to the imperative of verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I'll restate that as I've done a couple of times. We, we were dead, but we're now alive. Operative text in this uh, regard is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we were dead in sin. Uh, we walked according to the world. Uh, the spirit of uh, the world of evil had total control over us. We could do nothing but sin. That's who we were. 
but now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, we've been made alive. And because we've been made alive, we must reckon that that's what we are. We're alive to God. We're to live differently. Uh, and based upon the fact that we are now alive, we've been made alive, and the fact that the Spirit is now working within us, Paul issues two prohibitions. Uh, now, a prohibition is an imperative. It's a commandment. It's a command based on who we are. The first is in verse 12. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body that she should obey its lust. So don't let it rule over you. Outside of Christ, that's what it did. And my, how we loved it so. But because of the radical change, uh, work by the Father and the Spirit and the Son, we're to live differently. We must reckon that it no longer reigns over us. We belong to a different dominion, a different government. There is worthwhile reminder, theologically, is that we are still depraved. Even though we are in Christ, and the Spirit is now within us, we are still depraved. But I've dropped an adjective, have I not? Uh, the operative adjective, while we were living under the dominion of sin, was total depravity. Now, because of the work of the Spirit within us, the adjective total is dropped. We're still depraved. We must still struggle with sin, but it no longer owns us. Because Christ has transferred us from its dominion to his dominion. Still a very potent force, but we are not under its dominion any longer. And therefore, we no longer have to obey it. We have a new king. Uh, the natural man must obey sin and its lust. He has no ability to do otherwise. Again, if you think theologically, that's simply total depravity and total inability. Uh, because we are men made new, we are now able because of the infusion of grace that comes from the Holy Spirit. Sin used to own us. It no longer owns us. Christ does. And so the dominion over us is broken. And we can live differently. And so, there are certain things we can no longer do. Uh, certain magazines, if you will, that we can no longer read. I find that interesting because almost every magazine I read, it's almost a news rag. It's, I mean, you can see depravity everywhere, but... Again, certain magazines we turn away from. Uh, certain programs on our computers that we must not visit any longer. Why? Because we belong to a different king. Second prohibition, uh, verse 13, parallel to the first, you are no longer to present uh, our life to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. So something of a military metaphor here. Weapons of unrighteousness. Uh, the, the natural man engages in acts that are weapons of unrighteousness to further 
to further the kingdom of their master, who is the devil. Paul's saying, leave those weapons alone. For example, an illustration of this in 2 Corinthians 10.4, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely inspired for the destruction of fortresses. We have different weapons that God has divinely inspired to destroy and to break up the kingdom of evil. If you will, we no longer serve in sin's army. And our lives are no longer to advance its cause. When I was in the army, again, not to bore you, but every morning the unit you were in would have a formation. And generally the senior NCO would call call the soldiers that served under him into that formation. And every now and then some idiot from a different unit would be wandering around and end up in that formation to which he did not belong. And summarily he would be rebuked and harassed and everyone would chuckle and laugh. Go, go to your own unit. This is, this is a different unit. It's a reminder that we used to fall in to the formation of which Satan was the commander. We no longer fall in to that formation. Christ is now our king. We fall in differently. We have a new master, a new lord, a new dominion. And the dominion of sin, as we mentioned last uh, Sunday, uh, no longer has command authority over us. Now God does. Uh, I eventually left my uh, cavalry squadron, Fort Meade, Maryland, for an artillery unit, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. My previous commander had no command authority whatsoever over me. He couldn't call me up and say, Barisach, where's that report you were supposed to say? Well, sir, thank you, but you don't own me anymore. I have a different commander. And that's the reality here, a different commander, Jesus Christ. The strong contrast is we're to present ourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and our members as instruments of his righteousness is his kingdom. So I I really love that text, 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're divinely inspired for the destruction of fortresses. God has so equipped us with elements like the scriptures and prayer uh, to break up Satan's uh, formations. Uh, And this implies that Christ's resurrection is what? A source now of power and ability. I mentioned this last week. The resurrection of Christ caught all of his sons up together with him. This incredible, majestic power now energizing us is the very power that raised him from the dead. So we once were dead, but now we're alive. We have power. We used to not have any power over sin whatsoever. It owned us. Lock, stock, and barrel. But now in Christ we have power. Power from Him. Uh, Again, I want to reaffirm something that is of radical importance. It means that sanctification necessarily follows our justification. Uh, God calls us 
to, uh, to serve him. And now he gives us the power to do so. So a necessary event subsequent to our justification is that we're going to be sanctified and God gives us the Spirit to so affect it. Must follow. Uh, there are uh, Protestant denominations that, that reject that out of hand. Yes, it's good that it happens, but not necessary. I'm going to affirm that it's absolutely necessary, and I think Paul uh, will as well as we continue on uh, in our study, uh, really climaxing in uh, Romans chapter 8. Necessity. Because we've been transferred from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of Christ in righteousness, uh, there is the necessity of our sanctification and the Spirit working within us. A uh, couple of operative texts here uh, from the Old Testament. We looked at them last week, but I think they uh, are applicable today. Uh, Ezekiel 36, verse 27. Uh, God says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe them. So he grants us his spirit who now works within us uh, to uh, walk according to the scriptures. Formerly, we had no ability whatsoever to do that. We were dead. We were dead. But now he has made us alive. Uh, Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life. So again, things happen to us. Uh, sanctification uh, occurs, of course, over time and in degree, but not in fact. Every child of the faith is going to experience the work of the Spirit within us. I understand the degree is different in the mystery of the providence of God. I understand the time is different in the mysteries of the providence of God. But the fact of it is not, because God has given us the Holy Spirit. And there are necessary, necessary changes that occur. Namely, we walk according uh, to God's uh, scriptures. Again, there are those denominations uh, that uh, contend that we can come to faith and then uh, abandon ourselves uh, to a self-pleasing, uh, self-directed life. Um, the, the Apostle Paul takes radical issue with that. Simply logically because of the change that's occurred. We used to be dead, now we're alive. We used to not have the Spirit, now we have the Spirit. Now, I want to stress something that is of critical importance. Uh, I did not say a perfect life or a life free from the struggle of sin. 
But because all, behind all of these texts, that's the substantive fact. We are still engaged, even as Christians, even as the sons of God, even as those who've been justified, who are being sanctified, still are engaged in a titanic struggle with sin. It comes knocking on our door. We sometimes see it on our computer screens. We hear about it in the locker room uh, on the golf course or perhaps hear it on the greens of the golf course, wherever the case might be. It's just always there, and it's always we struggle with it. What I did say was a progressing life in light of the reality of the Spirit within us. Because Christ has saved us from the penalty, and now the Spirit is going to aid us in subduing it. No eradication, to be sure. That occurs in eternity. No perfection, to be sure. Uh, But simply the victory of the struggle with it because of the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Really, the marvels are the grace of God. He gives us the Son, and He gives us the Spirit. It's like the reality of birth. What follows birth? Growth. Generally, normally, in the birth of an infant, what follows is growth. Over time and in degree. But the necessity is a fact, and that's what's occurring now. There's been a new birth, and now there's going to be growth in the life of the Christian, and certainly the grace of God in his struggle with sin. And so we, we can no longer continue in it. There's certain things we must say no to. There's certain things we must walk away from. I understand that that is abnormal to our culture. But what's normal in our new life in Christ is that we've been given the Spirit to walk uh, with God according to His statutes. And we have just this in the final verse, which is an explanation or reason that sin does not reign over us and that we must present ourselves as alive in service to righteousness. So Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. He says simply read the text. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. This too is a statement of fact, of certainty. Uh, I would remind you, uh, particularly in light of our uh, feelings-oriented culture. This has nothing to do with feelings. It's the fact of what God has done for us and now is doing in us. The fact of the work of the Trinity. I understand that sometimes our feelings have a difficult time understanding and grappling with that, but Paul is not dealing with feelings. He's dealing with the reality of what Christ has done and the reality of what the Spirit is going to do over time and in degree. Necessary application of the union between Son and Spirit. Spirit's going to pick up where Christ left off. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 1.6. 
he who hath begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. Will perfect it. Not maybe. Not cross your fingers and hope. Will perfect it. If you will, to use a sports metaphor, the sun has passed the ball to the spirit. It's going to happen. And thank God it, thank God it will. There's nothing that's more encouraging in the Christian life to realize that the old haunts no longer have an interest to us because we are men and women made new by the power of the grace of God. And so sin will not be master or lord over you. It's figurative of the transfer of kingdoms, of ownership, of the change of covenants from old to new. The reality is that we abide in Christ and therefore sin cannot be our master because he's toppled its reign. It's the controlling and dominant influence in our lives. The causal clause here is essential. Again, look at, look at the text. New American Standard reads four. I want to translate it a little bit differently. Because you are not under law, but under grace. Grace ensures the realization. I mean, that's incredible. From beginning to end, it's all about the grace of God. Grace in the Son, now grace in the Spirit. And the Father has dispatched both, meaning that He is ensuring that grace will be ever-present with us. In this titanic struggle, grace will make it so. Grace will preserve and keep us and sanctify us. We're not left to wander self-directed. Grace is now with us. The law cannot change us. It can only indict us and condemn us. We're no longer under the law because of Christ. He satisfied all of the demands of the law for us. Now we are under grace. And grace is our guarantee, and it comes from our union with the living Christ and the power of the resurrection now working within us. So it's a beautiful illustration of this in the Old Testament. The response of, of a, a person who was called by God. Uh, I'm going to look at very quickly three texts uh, because of time. The first is Exodus chapter 3 and verse 4. Um, God calls to Moses from the midst of the burning bush. The burning bush... Moses, Moses. Uh, Moses' response says, Here am I. Here am I. Behold me. If you will, Lord, I'm ready to do your bidding. Moses was wandering about on the backside of a mountain. He'd been given a calling from God, now wondering how in the world it's ever going to come to pass, and God interdicts him at God's own timing. And God says, Moses, and Moses responds, here am I. Present for duty, if you will. God issues a call to action, and the readiness of the respondent to obey is, here am I. Or literally, it's literally, behold me. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 4. God calls Samuel. What's Samuel's response? Here am I. 
Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Uh, the prophet has been uh, cleansed from his sin by the grace of God. And the Lord uh, issues the question, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah responds, behold me. Here am I, Lord, send me. And that's an illustration of the fact that we used to be in this formation. Sin was our commander. Now we're in this formation, and Christ is our commander, and He grants us the Spirit. So when He calls us to obey, we can say, here am I, behold me, ready to do your bidding, Lord. So that we can say no to sin and yes to God. I mean, the great parallel that will climax all of this, that I trust in the grace of God we will eventually come to, is Romans chapter 4, verse 1. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, God calls us, and because we have the Spirit, we say, Behold me. Here I, here I am, Lord. Uh, I'm now in your formation. What is your, what is your bidding for me? Because of the grace of God. We act positively according to His commandments because of what God has done for us in Christ and what He is doing in us by the Holy Spirit in His sovereign grace. No longer under law, but under grace. What a great government to belong to. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, we're going to fail on occasion. Yes, we're going to succumb to weakness, but... At every point in our lives, the grace of God is moving us to get up and to go on. Get up and go on to serve the Savior. That's marvels of the grace of God. At no point are we deserving, uh, but grace makes us willing. There's another reason that we should no longer continue in sin. No longer continuing sin because of the doctrine of sanctification no longer should we continue in sin uh, as stated by the imperatives in our text. But in light of this morning, historic practice of our church, partaking of the sacrament of the Lord's table, we should no longer continue in sin because of the sacrament of the Lord's table and all that it means. What He did for us and paying the penalty of our sin, even to the point of death upon a cross. And because uh, we believe that He comes in the sacrament uh, to have spiritual fellowship with us, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the idea of host of a table who is Christ, and the great hospitality that He issues to us, that we can come and sup with Him, drink from Him, because of His manifold grace to us. I've never been invited to dinner at the White House. It's unlikely that I ever will be. Who cares? I've been invited to drink and to sup with the living Savior.
as a reminder to break off old relationships, old haunts, aspects of our old way of life. Uh, the Lord's table is one of the acts uh, that speaks to our senses because we eat and drink. Uh, but there are also, as you know from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, that the Apostle Paul enjoins us to examine ourselves. And this involves a proper discernment of the elements which represent the sacrifice of Christ and that we should come to the elements in faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. There is nothing that all occurs in the sacrament of the Lord's table absent a few calories except we come in faith apprehending the manifold benefits of the totality of the greatness of God because of our union with Christ. And how do we apprehend those? By faith. It's always by faith. By faith we come. We apprehend the reality of those manifold benefits that include justification, sanctification, and that our glorification is an absolute certainty because he loses none who are his. We apprehend that by faith. Yeah, what a joy that is. He loses none that are his. And so I would remind you as a, as a warning that uh, if you're living in known sin for which uh, you are not repentant, you, you really should not partake. And the Apostle Paul warns us of that very fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's why we begin our services with uh, the act of confession, uh, because we've been forgiven. So we, if you will, clear uh, clear accounts in light of the accounts that have been cleared uh, by uh, us in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so no one's going to be watching you. If it applies to you. Simply pass the service by. Uh, but uh, we do come imperfectly. I grant you that, because that's exactly how I come. And we come struggling. But the point is that the Savior comes to remind us of his presence. And that we, as we apprehend by faith the reality of what he's done to give us strength for the struggles that will continue with us the moment we walk out this door. Because sin is always about us trying to reclaim us. And the grace of God is always about us, with us in that struggle. Uh, of course, the, uh, the biblical warrant everywhere in the scriptures. I'm simply going to turn uh, to John, uh, John chapter 6, uh, reading uh, verse 53 to 58. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood as eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. And this is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the Father's ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. It's really high metaphorical language for apprehending the benefits by faith of what Christ did for us. For us, and now in us by the Holy Spirit. 
powerful sensory event, if you will, apprehended by faith. When sin comes knocking, we can say, I no longer have to obey you. I belong to a new commander, new formation, to which I respond, here my Lord, send me. Uh, at Grace Bible Church, this is an open communion. Uh, this isn't the table of Grace Bible Church, the table of the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, He's your Savior, and again, you are not living in unrepentant sin, and you, you are encouraged to partake. I certainly hope you do. Uh, because uh, we are in Christ, we are unified with Him, and that transcends uh, church uh, memberships. So it's it's a service open to all who, who confess Christ as Savior. Uh, as I uh, as I break the bread, uh, remind you that uh, Christ was broken for you on the cross. The full eternal ravages of God the Father were vented against Him. And in a great act of substitution, He took and paid for all those ravages so we will never have to pay. Never. The debt has been canceled forever because of Christ. But it's worthwhile to remember that because it's certainly helpful in our battle to say no to sin. Uh, as the elements are passed, I uh, ask that you would hold the element until which time we're all served, and then we will eat together to manifest our, our unity in the church. Um, as you uh, receive the bread, it's a time for you perhaps to silently engage in a sin or something you need to deal with. But, but I would highly encourage you at some point break off and thank God for the wonderment of the gift of Jesus Christ for which we were totally undeserving. But he gave it anyway because we are his sons too. So thank God for his manifold goodness. Let's prepare our hearts for receiving the bread. Lord, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us safe each and every day, that abides with us continually because of Christ in spirit. Lord, as we partake, bless us individually and corporately to signify that we belong, body and soul, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And make us full that we might go away strengthened all the more uh, to live for Thee and to advance Thy kingdom uh, because of Christ and for Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. And so in the cup, we have a reminder that Christ drank the cup of judgment to its most bitter dregs. He, he drained the cup uh, that we should have been had, we should have been made to drink throughout all eternity. But in one eternal act, as an eternal person, he drank it one time for all time. And so we drink a different cup, the cup of the new covenant. 
As we pass the service, I remind you that in the center of the service, there is wine and the periphery, there is grape juice that each may partake in the freedom of their own conscience and tradition. Uh, as with the bread, I ask that you would hold the cup until which time we're all served, and then we'll drink together. Uh, also another fitting occasion to engage the Lord in prayer, to thank Him for the most marvelous benefit of all times, the forgiveness of sin and guilt, and that the cup of judgment will never pass our lips because of what the Savior did for us. And uh, that's a manifold reason to be uh, manifoldly thankful as God's people and to have hearts full of joy. Well, again, let's prepare our hearts for partaking of the cup. Our Father, we come thirsty in our struggle with sin. Uh, we, uh, we engage, and sometimes we are left without strength, and so our blessed Redeemer comes by his Holy Spirit to remind us of the manifold goodness of God. Grace in the Son, grace in the Spirit. Uh, we do acknowledge, Lord, that it pleased thee, according to the sovereign good pleasure of thy will, to drink the cup of judgment, that we might drink a new cup, a cup of celebration of a new covenant of life and joy and peace in God. And so bless us, Lord, again individually and corporately that we might shine as lights in this evil world and so testify that we belong, body and soul, to our gracious and only Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You can place your cups in the receptacles there in your pews. Um, certainly want to thank you for uh, being, uh, being with us this morning. Uh, if you're here uh, for the first time as a guest, we certainly greet you in the name of Christ, our only Savior. Uh, if you have your, uh, your bulletin, a couple of announcements in the text, our Christmas program of Scripture and carols, the evening of the 19th. Uh, we'll have a continental breakfast here at the church that Sunday morning, and then uh, a light meal after the service that evening, uh, just as a special different occasion for, uh, for you to uh, fellowship with uh, people in the church. Sometimes life gets real busy, even in our services here. We come quickly and we leave quickly, so sometimes it's good just to slow down and have an occasion to uh, meet and visit with uh, some of the members of the church. Uh, we will meet uh, for prayer next Saturday at 8 a.m., so bring this to your attention. Um, the elders certainly gather to pray uh, pray for the needs, uh, needs of the saints here at Grace Bible Church. Um, I asked uh, Steve this morning how his wife uh, Audrey was doing uh, for her neck surgery. Um, if if I don't muck it up, she's doing quite well. She's at home, Steve. Is that right? She's at home um, in a brace. So continue to pray for Audrey. Just can't imagine having your neck operated on, but miracles of the means of God, age in which we live. So uh, do pray for continued healing um, and that uh, God would uh, enable Steve and Matthew to, uh, to serve her in this time of healing. Does anyone have something else that they would like to bring to God's people before we are dismissed?
Well, good enough. Let's stand for concluding prayer and word of benediction. Our Father, we are profoundly grateful that Christ is our life, that he shall come again to call us to the great supper of the Lamb. Uh, In the interim time, grant us thy grace and power in our struggle with sin. Uh, Thankful for the promise that we are to be overcomers and the Spirit comes to help us in this titanic struggle to be overcomers. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.